Episode 54 of Glass of Joe, joined as always by Joe Malfa. I'm PJ Glasser, the last major of the golfing season, Joe. We're almost through the super season of golf. We had seven majors. This is the seventh one of them. They're in Royal St. George's for the Open Championship this week. And we've got Golf Channel's Shane Bacon joining us to break it all down now. Pleased to be joined this week by Golf Channel Shane Bacon. Shane, thanks for joining. It's great to uh, great to meet you. Great having you on. How's everything going? Yeah, good, good. Uh, played golf this morning, and um, and then it just dumped for like the last two hours, right when we finished playing. So it's always nice when you actually time it perfectly. Uh, I feel like I've been on the other side of that as of late a lot with uh, playing in the rain. So it was nice to, to be dry for 18 holes. That is always nice. Uh, we'll just jump right into it. I want to take you back to the PGA with Phil. Uh, a lot's happened in the golf world with Rom and the two long playoffs that we've had at the Travelers and Rocket Mortgage. But Phil's really the big story. Now that you kind of had had time to digest it about a month and a half later, has it still sunk in at all that Phil really pulled it off and, and won at Kiowa? You know, it was interesting that during the match when he was talking about it. I uh, I loved hearing kind of him talking about his commitment to health and and uh, and focusing on kind of like changing the body and and trying to to use certain things that maybe he didn't focus on as much in the middle of his career uh, when he was just good. You know, when you're just really good at golf, it, it you don't have to worry about lifting weights and diet and things like that. I I loved hearing that you know him say getting it all to come together was so special for him. It's still wild, yes. I can't believe that Phil won another major. I can't believe Phil won a major like that at a golf course that was so demanding off the tee. Uh, watching Phil early, earlier in the season and struggled to hit fairways, things like that. Uh, never been a great part of his game, you know, throughout his career. So for him to win on that place against Kepka, uh, just his demeanor, you know, on that Sunday, it was just so muted and um, looked like he was just trying to, to – he knew exactly how much energy he had for 72 holes – and he wasn't going to waste any of it at any point, uh, kind of slowing things down. I, I don't know. It's just – it'll be what we remember from 2021, you know, is this Phil Mickelson major. I, I've said it a few times now. I mean, he's finally got this defining moment to his career. You know, Phil was was a great player, and it took him a while to win majors, and he was kind of that lovable loser earlier in his career. And now he's kind of got something that Tiger doesn't have and that Jack doesn't have as the oldest major winner ever. So, you know, to, to always have that considering what he did as an amateur winning on the PGA tour, I think it speaks to the longevity of Phil Mickelson. And so I just think it's cool that now Phil will always have that going forward is he's got something that these guys don't have. And, uh, and Phil was always chasing all those other names. And you compare him to tiger and amongst the golf world, I think people refer to as the most impressive tournament they've seen was tiger at Pebble beach in 2000 at the U S open now, Phil's might not be quite as that, but if you consider the age and just how he, he really wasn't playing well going into that, how tough Kiwa was playing, would you consider Phil's tournament maybe the top five, top three tournaments that you've seen from somebody? You know, I mean, I think just in, in maybe in terms of surprise or in terms of, of kind of out of nowhere, like you were talking about, uh, I would say it's it's definitely up there. I mean, you know, major performances. I mean, I think Phil played better at Troon, you know, when he lost. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think Phil would probably say the same thing. I mean, he was so incredible that week and just runs into a guy that literally doesn't miss a golf shot for four days is, is pretty tough uh, to swallow. I mean, I think those are the types of tournaments you look back on a lot. I mean, I think Watson's going to look back 
uh, at Turnberry a lot. I mean, even with five Clara jugs, it's, you know, I had this chance to win another one at the age I was at and I didn't get it done. I mean, that's what's so, uh, that's what's so daunting about the sport, right? Is that, you know, you play 18 holes and you play great golf and you of course can go back to the ones that didn't work or, or the putts you missed, you know, that, that, that even after the 10 or 20 or 30, you had that went in. So it's going to go down as a very special one for me. I mean, I, I to me, Phil winning in 04, I just remember the moment. I remember where I was. I was such a big Phil Mickelson fan, you know, being a left-handed golfer. Uh, I, uh, I just, I will always remember 04 because it really did feel like, it did feel like a guy that we didn't know if he was going to win major championships. You know, it felt mm-hmm. a little bit of like what we've gone through with Sergio Garcia, where it seemed like Sergio was going to win five, and then it seemed like Sergio was going to win zero. And for Sergio to finally get that one major, it was kind of that defining moment of his career. So, you know, to me, 04 will always be probably the most special. I think in terms of the most surprising Phil majors, I mean, I think you could you could debate this or even the Open. I mean, I you know, I, I remember there was plenty of time where we weren't sure Phil was going to ever contend in an Open championship. And for him to get that one, uh, it's going to still be crazy that Phil will have an Open and most likely won't have a U.S. Open, but uh, it was, uh, I mean, I think it's one of the coolest majors uh, uh, in my time oh, kind of covering the sport. Um, now, as we look ahead to the Open Championship, Rom, of course, won at Torrey Pines. He's the favorite heading into the Open at Royal St. George's. Are you surprised that Rom's favorite? He's the number one player in the world, but considering how tough it is to go back to back, are you are you at all surprised to see he's the betting favorite? No, I mean, I I think you know when you when you look at these odds, I think sometimes we get confused on on the favorites are the most likely to win versus where the money's going to go, right? And um and and it's kind of a balance in that regard. I mean, there's a reason the Dallas Cowboy lines are typically a half a point in favor of Dallas, right? Or the Lakers. I mean, these big these these teams where the money comes in on typically, um, they're going to get that bump almost all the time in Alabama in terms of college football. So no, I'm not surprised. I mean, you said it. He's the number one ranked player in the world. He just won his first major. He doesn't have a top 10 at an open, but he finished T11 in, in 2019. So very, very close to a top 10. I mean, the way he hits the golf ball, I think John Rahm's going to be a favorite of a lot of majors going forward. So I'm not surprised to see it. But I mean, as you said it right now, to win back-to-back majors in the, with this crop is just going to be something we're not going to see a lot of. So for him to do that would be truly special. I think Rahm's a truly special player, but I don't think I'm surprised to see him atop it. And, and, and when you think about the top 10 players in the world right now, there's a lot of, of holes I'd say in a lot of those players uh, years, you know, I mean, DJ hadn't played great. JT hasn't played great. Morikawa hasn't played awesome. Xander hasn't played awesome. Rory's, you know, who the heck knows what we're going to get with Rory McIlroy week to week. So when you think about the favorites, you know, Rom's the one that's played well in the big events. So I, I'd say it makes the most sense that he's the favorite there. And then what can you tell us about Royal St. George's, this open rotunda, these courses, we really only see one every eight, nine years. So I feel like a lot of people aren't as familiar with them as the U.S. Open courses. Is this maybe the toughest open course after Carnoustie, would you say, that these guys play? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it always depends on conditions, right? So, I mean, a rural troon, like we, like we were talking about with Stinson mm-hmm. and, and Phil, I mean, when the, when the winds aren't blowing, all of these golf courses are extremely gettable for these players. And if the winds are up, it's going to be tough. It's a very tough golf course. It's very challenging. I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily right up there with Carnoustie and Muirfield. But, I mean, when you look at the last few champs there, um, it's a grinded out mentality. And, I mean, I think that's what it's going to take is, 
is just understanding that you're going to get the bad breaks. You're going to make bogeys. Uh, and, and again, depending on the conditions, depending on what your draw is on Thursday, Friday. But, uh, you know, we had Bones on the show uh, this past week and he was talking about, um, it, you know, it's a place as a lot of these open golf courses are where you've got to find a lot of fairways. Uh, and then there's just some tricky spots you can't be. And, uh, and you know, that you, you avoid the big number, you find some fairways and you get on the right side of the draw. And those are really the keys in terms of how you can contend in an open championship. So when you think about that and kind of going back to John Rahm, you know, a guy that, you know, drives it great um, and puts it well. And, you know, I mean, I, I know people have, have bagged on his, uh, on his, you know, his temper, if you will, you know, earlier in his career. I mean, I just don't see it as an issue anymore. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's get there, play like you've been playing and you're going to have a good chance and just hope you get on the right side of the draw. I mean, I always, I bring this up a lot, but you know, in 2010, when, Rory shot 63 in the first round at St. Andrews and shot 80 in the second round. It's a reminder of what can happen when the conditions change. I mean, yeah. it can be the easiest golf course in the world and it can switch to the hardest golf course in the world. And that's why Lynx golf's my favorite golf because the conditions play so much of a factor. I was watching the, uh, the rewind from when Darren Clark won at Royal St. George's last night and the weather, I mean, it was downpouring. They were putting the rain gear on and taking it off within minutes. So uh, you are right. The weather can change in the flip of a dime do you I mean do you have a pick right now is who you like to win a week um, I, I I think I picked I think I picked Tommy Fleetwood before the year started um, I haven't uh, I haven't really done a deep dive into who I'm going to pick I typically try to pick somebody you know picking golf winners is so hard and yeah. it's even harder these days I feel like so I always try to look at a guy maybe outside to your point about kind of the betting favorites maybe outside the top 10 15 20 um, just try to take a little bit more of a long shot that I think will contend and who knows if they go on to win. But I think Fleetwood was my pre year pick for the open. So as of right now, I'll slot him in there and, uh, and next week that could change. But I, uh, you know, I mean, I just think it'd be fun to see Tommy Fleetwood win a major. Yeah. He was right there with uh, Lowry in contention uh, a couple of years ago. Now the open, you talked about how fun of a major it is, but it's great. Uh, for people like us who live on the East Coast, because obviously there's golf on at two, three in the morning. So are you the kind of guy, will you just stay up all night and just wait for the golf to come on? Do you go to bed early the night before? What's what's it looking like for you? So, you know, this is just my second East Coast year ever with the Open. And uh, and so as, as when typically I'm, I'm West Coasting this, you know, when I was living in Arizona, and that was definitely a go to the bar at about 10 p.m. with a buddy or two, and you take like two hours of golf in then, go home, get four or five hours of sleep and get right back up. But I've got to change everything here, you know, being on the East Coast. So it's, I think what I'll do is get up early. I think that'll be the key. Now I also have work to do as well. So um, earlier in the week, I got to get up. I'm going to be doing some of the live from on Golf Channel. And then um, on Saturday and Sunday, I've got some obligations as well for some NBC Golf Channel stuff. So I'll obviously be working, but on the days I'm not working, still going to get up, you know, let's, let's take as much of this in. Like I said, Lynx golf is my favorite golf. I mean, the Open Championship is is I would probably say it's my favorite major just because it's different and it's unique. Yeah, history wise, the golf courses, you know, getting a chance to live over there for a bit um, and really, really kind of experience Lynx golf from a from a caddy's perspective. I, I just love the golf so much that you know being involved in any capacity is going to be great, and I want to see as much of it as I can. I'll be doing the same thing this weekend, honestly, with with the PJ. Is I got to get up early and watch Scottish Open golf mm. because any links golf I can see early in the morning, I'm going to be in on. Yeah. Um, now you talked about the match a little bit at the beginning. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. 
obviously this was the fourth year of it and people start throwing out the kind of pairs that they would love to see. Is there one that you kind of keep going to of a golfer, an athlete that you really would, would like to see? I, I want to see Jordan's golf game on television. That's kind of really my only thing is I don't know who you pair him with. If he'd be interested, I'm assuming it would probably be at the Grove if they did it. But I would like to see Jordan play golf on TV because we've heard about Jordan as a golfer for so long. Let's see what's happening. Let's see what uh, let's see what the drives look like. Uh, let's see how the short game holds up. Let's see how many cigars he goes through. I, I would love to see Jordan involved at some point. And if you were to play in the match, which pro golfer would you want to be paired with? And what course would you want to play at if you had your choice? Oh, I mean, I, I'm going to probably take Homa. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we've played in, in a couple things before. Uh, I, I would like to see, you know, the, the Homa golf, uh, golf up close. It's been a minute since we played together after the move. So uh, I'll pick Homa and then we would play, we'd want to play a tough track. I mean, we want to play somewhere tight. We want to play somewhere uh, that, that's going to beat up whoever we're playing against. Um, so, so give me, give me kind of runways, maybe desert golf, maybe we'll go out to Arizona and play somewhere out there, play a Quintero or a Wico Par or something. And, and let's, uh, let's see some balls get hit in the desert and, uh, and, and let's lean on our desert golf experience, if you will. Nice. Uh, all right. Before we finish, we do two things with all our, of our guests. We have a rapid fire segment and then we have a trivia question for you. Okay. The rapid fire segment is seven questions. Uh, so first question, what is your favorite sports movie? Oh man, favorite uh, sports movie. Uh, I have a question for you. Yeah. Would Rounders be considered a sports movie? I mean, uh, poker is on ESPN. Yeah. I would, so, I, would yeah. I, I'm, I mean, that seems like kind of a cop out. I'll go Rounders as the kind of off pick. The the mo- the, go- the sports movie I've probably watched the most is Tin Cup. So I'll go Tin Cup. All right. Uh, number two, Kepka versus DeShambo. Do you love the rivalry or do you, do you hate it? I mean, I like it. It gives us something to talk about. Um, it it gives us a lot of content on on maybe some some non huge golf weeks. So give it to me. I mean, as long you know, my thing is as long as this never bleeds into actual golf in terms of somebody yelling in a backswing that could actually change the outcome of what's happening in the actual sport. I'm all for it. I mean, don't be mean, don't be an a hole, but as long as everybody's having fun and and enjoying the rivalry, and I think it's good for. Uh, for the interest of the sport, I'm I'm in. I'm in. Are you? Do you want to see them get paired on a Thursday, Friday, or would you like to see it all play out and have them just go at it on a Saturday or Sunday? I, I think initially I wanted to see Thursday, Friday, but I want to see them play into it. So yeah. I, I think I'm going to take the weekend. Let, let's see them play into it and both play well, and uh, and then it could be a natural uh, a natural pairing. Number three, uh, who do you like to win the finals, Bucks or the Suns? Oh come on! I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, Suns, let's go. Suns. I, I'm the, I, the NBA. I mean, I watch NBA every single night, all year long, for years and years and years. And the one year the Suns make the finals is the year I move away from Phoenix. So wow. not could have done it one year earlier, Chris Paul. Just one year earlier would have helped. Are you, are you surprised just how quickly that they've gotten – I mean, they've written the ship? I mean, it, it's – you know, injury plays a part in every sport. They've been helped – so much yeah. by the other teams you know when you think about the window and I, I was listening to a to an NBA podcast it might have been no dunks and they were asked the question do you think uh which team has a less like likely chance to return and um and I think the easy answer initially is the Suns I actually think the answer is the Bucks 
the Suns are going to have a hard time getting back just because the West is only going to get better. I mean, the Lakers are going to be healthier next year in theory. The Warriors are going to be healthier next year in theory. So I, I, am I surprised that they got there this fast? Yes. Am I surprised when you look at the landscape of the Western Conference? No. So um, with so many injuries and so many top players being out, it seemed like the road was kind of paved for them to get a, to at least get to the Western Conference Finals and then who knows what happens. Number four, uh, player that you think will be next to win their first major, Shoffley, Cantlay, or Finau? Uh, I'll uh, I'll go Cantlay. Okay. I, I'll go I'll go Patrick. I think uh, I think can I think you know Finau and Xander have been very very close, but I think Cantlay is uh, let's call him the hungriest if that makes the most sense. So I'm going to go Cantlay. Number five, what is your favorite major course in the United States that's not the Masters? Not Augusta National, favorite uh, U.S. course for a major. Um, You know, we see it every year, but I love Pebble U.S. Opens. You know, they just West Coast prime time, iconic golf course. We know the holes. We know the course. Uh, It just seems like it hits a little bit different. And um, I remember, you know, getting a chance to be a part of that coverage in 19. It's just place is sweet. It's demanding. It's tough. It, it It has some gettable holes. It's kind of got everything you'd ask for. Now, who is uh, number six? Who's a celebrity that you'd love to play around with? I know home is your guy, but celebrity, you know, um, an actor, athlete of another sport. Can I, can I, can I say Aaron Rodgers after the match? Yeah, he seems like, I said this on Twitter, but Aaron Rodgers seems like the perfect scramble partner. He, the demeanor's there. He's funny. He's dry. Um, probably has a few drinks if you're interested in doing that. Um, he, you know, I, we bring like, when I play in a scramble, I always bring a football because it's so slow that we'll throw it around on tees when we're waiting. He'd probably be great to have involved in that situation. He might throw him a little too far, but that's okay. I can go get it, get a little exercise in. So I don't know. I just feel like Aaron Rodgers is the perfect scramble partner. So I'll go with Aaron Rodgers. Nice. And then last question of the Swift seven, your favorite sport besides golf? Basketball, NBA basketball, for sure. Tennis is a close third, but I, I'm a I'm an NBA basketball fan through and through. Nice. All right, Shane Bacon, your trivia question. 90 seconds. We give everybody three strikes. Um, just very simple. Can you name me the last five open champions? Last five. So you got Shane Lowry in 19. Correct. Um, and then oh goodness. So you've got so Spieth won it in 17 you got Molinari and Carnusti. yep um so before speed so feet speed was speed 17 he was yep um so before speed that's I'm trying to think so there would be St. Andrews was mixed in there somewhere and that would have been Zach Johnson but I think that was 15 correct yep yeah because they do it every five years so who am I missing between Zach Johnson and Jordan speed where was he open there um it wasn't Carnusti because that would have been our boy Molinari um, I don't think it was, it wasn't turned very, was it must've been Stinson. It was Royal Troon, right? It was, it was there well done. Yep. Excellent. It's funny. You know, we've had Steve Sands on the pot a couple of times and you golf guys, man, you just, you know, the trivia. It's impressive. But, so this is a weird thing I used to do and I don't do it anymore, but I need to do it again. I think I used to do flashcard major trivia, like by myself where I would go through 20 masters winners or, you know, the last 30 open winners and stuff like that. And just to kind of refresh myself on it. But the, I'll tell you this, and, I, and I'm sure you can agree with me, PJ. The pandemic has thrown these things off. Yeah. Because you always forget 20. You know, I mean, now, granted, the Open, we didn't have an, an Open in 20. So that's kind of an easy one to skip over. 
But even in life, like when you're thinking about when's the last time we went on a vacation and you go oh, last year and then you realize last year was 2020. So 2020 will always throw a wrinkle, I think, in our in our trivia going forward. But I'm, I'm happy that I that I'm happy that I got I went five for five. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Shane Lowry's been the champion golfer for two years. so And he's enjoyed it, as he, he should. That's the he key. He absolutely has. Well, Shane, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me. Congrats on uh, getting the call for the Olympics. Have fun in Tokyo. Uh, that'll be awesome. It was great meeting you, and thanks for the time. Absolutely. Anytime. Once again, that was Shane Bacon of the Golf Channel. Joe, it's been cool. I have uh, been watching like the live at the open this week on golf channel and Shane's been anchoring some of the coverage. So it's been cool to see him talk about the course and then obviously getting able to talk to him, but you know, of the open courses like St. Andrews, we know about Carnoustie, uh, Turnberry is a big one, but like Royal St. George's, I really don't know much about, uh, I don't know much a lot. I don't know much about a lot of the open courses. It's just like that one where, we don't really we see it once a year. Yep. I mean, how many times do we watch any golf on an annual basis that's not even in the U.S.? Like, it's it's very, very rare. So, I, I know almost nothing about exactly except for yeah. not even not even two of the other ones you mentioned. For me, it's just – for me, it's really just St. Andrews. I know that one, and that's about it. So. <laughs> I know all I can promise you is that the weather will flip on a dime. It'll be sunny one at 1 o'clock, and then at 1 – 10 it'll be torrential downpour and then at 1 30 yep. it'll be sunny again that's just how it'll work uh there'll be pop bunkers you got to keep the ball in the fairway you got to be great around the green and you got to be able to play off tough lies because they were saying that at this course like the fairways there's no like flat runway kind of fairway there's hills all yeah. over so you're gonna have awkward lies so you need to find guys that'll uh be good out of stuff like that that's before, where Jordan Spieth does pretty well. That's that where Jordan Spieth, Spieth does, does pretty, well. pretty well. Now, before we get into our picks and all that, uh, something that we talked about with Shane was the match. And we obviously had Rodgers and DeChambeau versus Brady and Phil. Now, I the, the question that's been floating around, obviously, is like the matchup that you would love, people would love to see, a professional athlete with a golfer. So I'll ask you that first. Is there a pair that you would love to see? I think it's as simple as Shaq and Chuck. Like we've seen Chuck do it already uh, as far. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you mean a pair between a golfer and a celebrity or you mean a matchup? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, That'd be a good matchup. Yeah. Yeah. uh, My mind went right to matchup. Like I said, we saw Chuck already once in it, uh, but Shaq Chuck would be a lot of fun. As far as a golfer with a celebrity, um, that's a tough one because I feel like a lot of the golfers, you know, we only know so much about the personalities of so many of them because they're not, you know, aside from the Kepkas and the, the Bryce, like they're not doing a ton of media and we don't have a massive glimpse into what their personalities are really like and stuff like that. Um, I think some of the ones we've seen have been really enjoyable already. Uh, Phil is great with anybody personality wise. That's a tough one. Uh, if you have one that's on top of your head, go for yours, and I'll continue to think about mine. I did. Uh, so yeah, I was watching the one. match, and they were asking this question on Twitter, and there were two that people had tweeted about that really caught my eye. The first one that's my number one that I would love to see is Gretzky and DJ because obviously oh, yeah, Dustin is his son-in-law. He's married to Paulina Gretzky. So when I saw that, I'm like, that'd be incredible. I don't know what Wayne's golf game's like, but if it's even somewhat mediocre – 
I think that'd be fantastic. The other one is Spieth Romo, obviously being Texas mm-hmm. guys. And Tony Romo's legit. I mean, he's played on a PGA Tour event before. He's really, really good. So it would almost be as interesting to see Spieth and Romo and if they'd have, like, two professionals go up against him or if you'd have, like, Curry because Steph Curry's also very good against with another uh, PJ golfer. But DJ and Gretzky, I never thought of that. But once somebody said it, I'm like, that's the one I'd like to see. That's a good one. I genuinely don't really have one, like, off the top of my head. I mean, uh, something I have to give a lot more thought into because um, you start thinking about what are some pairs you could do based on, you know, like the Romo speed one, are they both Texas boys or, or, you know, you have a couple guys who are like big time talkers. It would be a lot of fun. Uh, I could see something like, um, uh, like a, like a JT and Nick Saban. If Nick Saban's got any sort of golf game, like you can start That'd getting into good. pairs like that. Yeah. There you go. There's, there's one, there's one for you. That'd be good. <laughs> um, now if you were in the match and you had your pick of a pro golfer, who would you want to be paired with? That's a good one too. That one I've, I've thought about a little bit whenever I've been watching it with my dad, my brother. Um, I think I'd probably want to go for someone who I'm going to have a good time with more so than anything else. Um, and it, I, I start thinking about like, like Ricky's not in great form right now, but like, I feel like that could be a lot of fun. For sure. um, it's, it's probably an easy answer because we see him doing it all the time, but how could you not say Phil? I mean, yeah, we've, that seen was my now, pick. we've seen him do it now four or five times. And like the lessons that he gives the, the person he's partnered with, the personality he has, I mean, that right there in and of itself is part of the reason why the match is so successful because you have that personality of Phil and, and those little inner workings of, of the round. So he's the easy answer for a reason, but another one that stuck out again, not playing great golf right now, but Ricky seems like he'd be a, he'd be a fun one too. That was good. Uh, another one for me outside of Phil would be Morikawa. He just seems like mm. a good guy. I like him a lot. His iron game, he could teach me so much with the iron game. And uh, I, I think he'd just be he, he'd be fun to play with. But, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see if they just keep sticking with Phil or, like, if they bring another guy into the mix, see what they do. But, uh, no, look, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know how much he plays, but uh, he's good. He's pretty damn good. He's good, the, the driver. Player. The driver too. The drives were straight. Six and of, I don't remember how uh, it finished down the stretch, but I remember specifically six of the first seven holes they used Rogers' drive over Bryson's drive yeah. in the alternating shot. Um, now there's obviously strategy in that. Like maybe um, you know, depending on where they ended up, they would rather have uh, obviously more skilled Bryson take that second shot even if it wasn't as far, but he was splitting fairways and he was, he was doing it pretty well. So Rogers, I didn't really know what to expect out of him. Another matchup that I want to see going forward. I want to see Peyton versus Eli. We talk about the personalities and stuff. They both have great senses of humor yeah. and they're both opposite senses of humor where Peyton is a talker and Eli is really dry. So you kind of get that sibling rivalry. They're both really funny. I know Peyton's got a golf game. I don't know what Eli is like I'm sure he's not totally inept. So I think that's a matchup specifically that I'd like to see in the future too. That'd be good. I'm trying to think if there are any brothers on the PGA. Well, you got Brooks and Chase Kepka, but Chase isn't as well known. Yeah. But if there are brothers that like come out and they're as good at, and you know they're good players, I think you pair Eli and Peyton with the brothers. That could be uh, that could be interesting. And I like to see just a, a matchup between guys who have beef. Like I like Kepka to. It'd be Kepka against Bryson. That'll and then the, and it'll never happen. But and then like the make the pros like um 
Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, right? Like, like that one just came to mind because they're obviously last week they had their whole spat and, and the gross injury to Conor McGregor. But like, just two guys on both sides who just hate each other and just see how it works. Oh out. my god, the clubs would be used as weapons. I don't know if they hit any golf balls. The last point though about Phil, if he when he retires from golf, if he ever decides to go into TV, the contract Romo made. I mean, CBS, when Faldo's done, I imagine they'd give him a similar offer to come on because he's really comfortable yeah. on camera and he's really good analyzing the game. So that'd be interesting to see if he does that. Back to the Open, you kind of hinted that you like Speef. Is that your pick for this week? So I, I mentioned him because of the Americans, I hate to go as an American at the Open because their track record is just not good as far as winning. I think going back to 2010 – ish i think maybe three americans have won in nine tries something like that so i'm not picking an american i think Spieth could be the highest finishing american i'm going chalk with rom um i like i like to pick a european if i can if there's somebody that i feel confident in he's in incredible form right now we know how he's been doing at majors i mean he's got a top five at the masters he comes out after that uh, and he wins the u.s open uh i mean I think it's, again, it's a chalky, safe pick, and you don't know what's going to happen. Like you were saying earlier with the weather and stuff, it could be a total no-name who wins it, uh, but you got a European on a course that should suit his game, and he's in great form. That's, that's, I'm going simple. I'm not trying to rethink, reinvent the wheel with this pick this week. I mean, look, Rom, I get the logic. It's tough I, to win back-to-back majors, first of all, is tough. Right. Um, but again, he's a big favorite, kind of like he was for the U.S. Open. So it makes you think, what does Vegas know? I'm looking on my phone because there was an article uh, that I can't find. But basically, somebody listed out what the trends have been for the last, like, 10 major champions. And it was, like, guys that have won uh, every, ma- every Open champion over the last 10 years has, like, won that year on tour they had played the week before they were 32 years or older Mm. they listed all these things and the only guy this year that fit all those trends was rory so because of that i'll go with rory i do like speed though i'm with you on the thing about uh you know americans and how it's tough when you're not used to playing that style of golf and you play it once twice a year compared to the european guys who grew up with that obviously they have an advantage but Spieth's short game, I remember two years ago when Shane Lowry won it, Spieth could not hit a fairway. His driving was horrendous, but his short game kept him around. He almost had a chance to win. So if his driving is somewhat good to go with that short game, he'll be right, right. there. But he, uh, I He's the only American that I would feel any, any bit of confidence in, to be honest. Like, I don't really feel much confidence in Kepka. I don't really feel much confidence in JT. If an American's going to win it, I think it's going to be Spieth. Kepka, the dude's just so good in majors. That's true. He'll, he'll be That's right true. there. <laughs> Shoffley, I think, you know, open championship courses fit his style because he's such a good putter. He hits the ball so straight. He could be good. I'll tell you a nice little bet, though, that I like is for DeShambo to miss the cut. Plus, Oh, me too. 50. I love that one. I was going to say the same thing in a minute. We did not share notes. I, I mean, he was even terrible in the match. He missed the cut the week before that. I am absolutely fading him. You know, Fan has been doing these bonuses going into every major where it's like they'll pick three guys and to, to make the cut and boost the odds from like 100 to like 250 plus 100 plus 250. 
And the three they picked this week was Spieth, um, Ustazen, and then DeShambo. So as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, Spieth, yeah, he'll make it. Louis, oh, he'll make the cut. Bryson, nope, not taking that one. That's that right there is just trying to rope you in with the, with the the odds boost. It's not happening. I, I want to know. You want to know something funny too? Brandon Grace, the last two time, the last two years, the guy that he has been paired with in the opening round has gone on to win the Open Championship. That's a really weird quirk. And do you know who the two guys paired with him this week? I have not looked at pairings two. yet. No, who is uh, it? Those two guys would be Bryson DeChambeau and Jordan Spieth. So, because <laughs> we both don't like Bryson and we like Jordan. There you go. Who knows there what can happen. That's, that, that has to have, like, never happened before. Or few and far between. Because that's, that's so random. I if mean, Jordan so wins, if Jordan wins, that everybody's going to be dying to... It's like, I don't know if you remember the Philadelphia Eagles. I think it was like three or four straight years. Their home opener, whoever the team was they played against, went on to win the Super Bowl. Like, yeah, that's just totally ridiculous and unbelievable. That's absurd. Yeah, it is. That's absurd. I mean, uh, there's no way to, like, we got to get the Elias Sports Bureau on that. That's their homework tonight. (laughs) All I'm saying is if Jordan wins it, I'm going to be like, everybody's going to be dying. They're going to be paying to be paired with Brandon. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, but I'm with you on Bryson. Look, every tournament, the guy tries to hit the ball a mile. There could be some holes where because of how far he hits it and because of the rollout at the open, Mm -hmm. he could, like, hit some greens. But he's also going to get stuck in those crazy bunkers and the crazy yeah. rough, and it's just with yeah. That, it's, you know. it's not one of those things either where you you say, all right, he's going to hit some bunkers, he's going to hit some like you said where it rolls to the green. It's not like one of those things where eventually it evens out. No, like it's going to be way worse when he hits those bunkers oh. because it's just those are going to derail him way more than hitting the occasional green on a drive would help him out. Yeah. Um, so that it's just doesn't suit his game. The whole thing where he just fired the caddy, he's not playing well, it's going to be a disaster. I'm expecting like a very, very big number from DeChambeau. Like not even close to making the cut. Mm. So, so sure enough, he's going to be the one. He'll be leading after Thursday, win, right? yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, all right, shifting away from golf, we got a little bit of season of champions to talk about. Oh, yeah. So we had the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. We had Italy win the Euros. And we had Djokovic winning at Wimbledon. So we'll start with the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup. Uh Going back-to-back in the NHL is not easy. They're the first team to do it since the Penguins. Lightning are really, really, really freaking good. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they're obviously it's, – it's one thing that they have all this talent on their team at all their lines, forwards, centers, and defensemen, but then they pair that with the best goalie in, in mm-hmm. hockey. So This might be it, though, for them. This might be it, though, for them, I think, because you think about the roster they currently have. Uh, they can't keep everybody – I mean, at all, because again, we go back to that whole thing where the team that played in the playoffs was $17 million over the cap. So inherently they cannot keep that same team next year. So they're going to have to trim $17 million of cap space just to be compliant. And then from there, they're going to have to probably trim that down even further, depending on who's up for new contracts and stuff like that. So it's about time. And if you think back to last year, after they won it in the bubble, there was already talk about, could they trade Stamkos? Could they, get rid of, um, you know, so, some, they were ready to blow it up. And the only guys who were untouchable were Kucherov, Hedman, and Vasilevsky. Everybody else could have been had. They, 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 they were those murmurs last year. So they stuck it out, obviously, one more time. They obviously made the right decision winning the cup again. But it's obviously not going to be able to continue just from a number standpoint. So I, I hope everybody enjoyed it because it's probably it 
they will still be good. I mean, they have an amazing core that's going to be in the playoffs every year. But next year, they probably, depending on the moves they have to make, they probably second or third in the division. They might make it to the second round, and that's it. But Because you're playing a lot of hockey, too. I mean, that's a lot of hockey back-to-back years that and is. in condensed years, too. Um, so it, hats off to them. I mean, what a run it's been. Because not, not just the wins they've had the last two years, but go back before that. I mean, the, the conference finals push they made in – uh, well, they made it to the final in 2015. They've been to other conference finals in there. It's been an incredible run for them, but um, it's it's probably coming to an end. They've been dominant. But, yeah, I mean, with that cap, they, they got to cut certain guys. It'll be interesting to see who they even ship off to Seattle, maybe, if they give them some mm-hmm. good players and who they decide to re-sign. Over to soccer now, Joe, and I'm so mad at myself. We were watching – I was watching the France-Germany game back in the uh, group stage, and – I text you as I'm watching the game, and I'm like, damn, France is just, they're pretty good. And I'm like, but outside of like France and England and Belgium, like who's a team that can just ugly their way to a championship, kind of like Portugal did? And I said, is it Italy? And you said, yeah, and you said, yes, but their draw is right. so tough. Yeah, so absolutely. Historically, Italy yep. Wins. But they didn't have to play anybody tough until it got to England in the final. No, I know. I mean, they historically, their team, all the, all the trophies they pretty much won have been ugling it up, playing their way, winning it in penalties, the 06 World Cup, and now the 2020 Euro. Um, but they still had to go through and beat Austria in extra time in the first round. And a game that they should have lost by a very, very razor-thin VAR call. That was the right call in the end. But it was razor thin. Otherwise, they lost that game in, in regulation to Austria. Then they go against Belgium, who ended up being full strength because uh, Kevin De Bruyne was healthy. They were missing Aiden Hazard, but he's not what he was. So they had to go Austria, which was clearly a tough matchup that they almost and possibly should have lost. They had to go through Belgium, who was the number one team in the world. They had to go through Spain, who's right up there. And again, they were significantly outplayed for the duration of that game clung on and, and took it to penalties. And then against England, it was about an even split. I don't think that they were significantly outplayed. They were Both teams had their moments in that game. So it was a really difficult road. It was o- almost exactly the road that I told you it was going to be back when you asked me that question. But, I mean, you, nothing you could do but applaud them. They, they made it through. They found a way. Um, and they well, was something 34. You could bet it. it. You could bet <laughs> it. Uh, I think it's like a 34-match unbeaten streak now, too, in all competitions. Yes where you know they've had their draws obviously but but no losses so they're on the run they're going to probably be a hot popular pick for the world cup in 16 months and who knows i mean they they clearly have what it takes that team's probably going to be a little different because they're not going to have their heart and soul on the back line in chiellini they're going to have to shuffle some things around and again this was kind of a magic carpet ride for them where just everything went right um don't know that that happens again so don't fall. If you're asking me now for an advanced look at the 2022 World Cup, I wouldn't say fade Italy, but I would say tread lightly because yeah, I won't pick. They're going to be a very popular pick, and right. it's just odds are they're not going to pull it off again. Uh, but they did it this time, and that's all that matters. And like you, like you said, poor England. I mean, that was maximum heartbreak. God. It could not have been any worse for them. You get a goal in the second minute. Everybody's excited. Everybody's already home, jacked nuts. up as is. Yeah, and then you score <laughs> two minutes in. 
then you go the rest of the time. All right, you give up the goal. You go to extra time. You go to penalties. In penalties, you take an early lead. And then you miss three kicks in a row oh. by two guys, two of the three, who you subbed guys in just who were subbed that. in in the 120th minute to do one thing and one thing only. Now, I'm not going to sit there and blame those guys in any way. I know that I would not have the stones to step up and take a penalty in that, in that moment. Taylor Twelman brought up a great point. You know, you look at penalty conversion rates during, like, regular games versus during tournaments at the end, and it's drastically different because – there's no, there isn't that pressure. I mean, if you had, if I had to say without having the numbers in front of me, I would say that probably seven or eight out of 10 penalties are made. You start going into tournaments like that. It's, it's 50, 50, it's almost 50, 50. You've seen it this year with all the games that went to penalties in the tournament, yeah. just because you have 65,000 people looking at you and it all comes down to that. Like Mbappe is probably going to make eight out of 10 penalties, but then you put it in the mix against Switzerland like that, where it's all down to him different story so it's just it's it's at that point it's all luck it's it's luck and mental toughness it's probably maybe 10 percent skill maybe 85 percent mental toughness and maybe five percent luck at that stage real quick i'm gonna give you a swift seven type question oh love it or hate it penalty kicks to end knockout stage games hate it but there isn't an alternative is a problem i agree that, that that's the only problem that you have like you can't football. let them play like 150 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, college college football, you, you keep flipping fields, you keep going. Right. Uh, NFL overtimes, you know, you're going to score at some point. Uh, NHL, they play forever, but hey, you also have subs. Constantly. 24 guys that you're right. changing every 30 right. seconds. Right. Um, my proposal would be this. If there's, if there's going to be anything drastically done to eliminate penalties, and it's something that we talked about in the office last week, my only proposal would be this. After the 30 minutes, after the 30 minutes, if it's still, if, if you don't have a winner, give it 30 more. But anybody who's already subbed out is allowed to come back in to, to get even more fresh legs out there and get your better talent out there. Because you start, you start looking at games like that where, um, you know, you got to take your best guy out maybe in like the 85th minute because he's just dragging. Or you got to take him out in the 112th minute because he's just dragging. Now, if it's, you know, the 143rd minute of your second set of 30 minutes of extra time, maybe he's taking a breather, like a, a guy subbing out quick in, in basketball or between drives in football, get re-energized, get back out there. College soccer, once you were subbed out, you could sub back in. Um, by no means am I saying to do that during the course of the game or during the course of the first 120 minutes, because that changes the entire integrity and strategy of the game. But if you'd rather have it won on the field from the run of play instead of from penalties, which are fluky and it's just not a great satisfying conclusion, um, that would be my only suggestion. It's, it's way outside the box. It in a million years probably would not happen. But like you said, you can't keep playing because the last 10 minutes of that Italy-England game you could see both sides were ready for penalties. Like they just oh, couldn't yeah. run anymore. It, they were done. Um, so I would say maybe go another half an hour or maybe just 20 more minutes and allow players to come back in. Um, what about moving the it. goal to midfield and going seven on seven? 
I'd probably take penalties in that event. I mean, that's even yeah. I'd probably still take penalties. penalties are hyped though. Like I'm they are. You, I don't they like are. how it, but it's like oh my god. Like think about man. having a think about having a shootout in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. Like nobody's satisfied by that, you know. So it's 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 just unsatisfying. But of all the sports, you're by far doing the most running and expending the most energy. It's just not physically humanly possible to keep going unless right. you give more substitutes or allow players who came out to come back in. It's not possible. I feel you. Um, all right. Next and lastly, Wimbledon. And I got some thoughts on this because there's obviously now everybody thinks Djokovic is the GOAT. Him, Nadal, and Federer all up 20. I'll say this. As of now, today, Roger Federer is still the GOAT for me. My big argument is that Federer and Nadal both played each other in their prime. Djokovic got a crack at those two in their prime a little bit but he's really benefited off them with their injuries and their age and all that. Not to take any away from Novak, but obviously he never got as many cracks at Fed and Joe and Nadal in their prime. With that being said though, now that he is 20, now that he has won all three of the majors in the same year and has a chance to complete the grand slam. If he wins the U S open, not only does he complete the grand slam in the calendar year, but he will overtake Nadal and Federer for Grand Slams with 21, then it's kind of hard to argue against them. Yeah. Once you win a Grand Slam in a calendar year, that kind of changes things. I'm just hoping that at the U.S. Open, he plays either Federer or Nadal. I think that'd just be so great for the sport of tennis. I think that'd just be so great for sports and just everybody watching. And I still do not understand why tennis has the U.S. Open final during the first week of the NFL season. It never makes any sense to me. I get most tennis fans don't really care about football, and most football fans don't really care about tennis. But people like us, we would 1,000% schedule our day around a Djokovic-Federer final of that magnitude. So play it the week before, have the whole sports world on it. I just have never understood it. But as of now, I still think Federer is the GOAT. I think if Djokovic loses the U.S. Open – I still think Federer would still be slightly the GOAT, but obviously Djokovic has some time to uh, overtake him. But uh, if he wins the U.S. Open, gets the Grand Slam, and gets to 21, it's, it's kind of tough to defend him at, at that point. I think Djokovic yeah, with, has the resume. With all due respect to Rafael Nadal, he's not in the equation for me. No, it's I agree. Between Djokovic and yes. Federer – because you, you, you take a look, I got something in my eye and I keep trying to get it out, but it eventually comes out. Um, you, you take a look at Nadal specifically too with the French Open. Like no, he's indisputably head and shoulders above everybody else who's ever set foot on clay. 100%. But that puts a dent in his goat argument because he's a specialist who just dominates that one surface and has won all but twice or three times since he, since he started his run at the French open. So that puts a dent in it for me because he doesn't have that same all around game that, that Federer or Djokovic have on the other courts. Like it's just, the clay is his, he's not losing. You just give him the trophy save for a couple of times that it didn't work out. Um, between Djokovic and Federer, Federer has a just majestic, uh, you watch him and you're like, that dude's just on a different level. And like, even in his old age, he just aged like fine wine. It's pretty tennis to watch. Um, Djokovic is brute force tennis. Like he's physical. He gets to balls that you don't know how he gets to them. Um, it's, they're just both amazing to watch in their own right. 
I held out for a long time. I always sided with Peyton over Brady. Eventually, that obviously came to a point where that was no longer possible. Brady head and shoulders above everybody else. Getting to that point with Djokovic. I agree. And again, and again it's, it's through no fault of Federer's own. If Federer were born 10 years later and uh, was able to be a direct foil for Djokovic rather than uh, going up against Nadal the way he has, Djokovic's total would be lower because, like you said, they would have to go against each other more mm-hmm. rather than Djokovic having been able to take advantage of a later career Federer and Nadal who have broken down, who have missed majors. So how many majors has Djokovic won against someone not named those two guys, whereas Federer and Nadal were going at it almost every single time. Um, so that, that all factors in, but when he's all said and done with the way he's playing and his current age, Djokovic might get to 30. He might get to 27. Like you can't argue with that anymore. Yeah. He, gets, he, he gets three or four above Federer and Nadal, and you already really can't argue it. Um, and it's just going to keep going from there. But Federer is more likable. I think he's just, a more, like I said, majestic is the word I'd use. You watch him play wizard with the wand, uh, with the racket in his hand. I almost said wand because I said wizard. Um, <laughs> the racket is like his wand in that stage. Uh, whereas Djokovic, again, it's just brute physical toughness. Just different to watch. And, again, Djokovic is, is kind of a D-bag sometimes and Federer is not. So uh, you, you'd want it to be Federer or not Djokovic, but you can't really argue with it. It's and I agree with you. I think eventually it will be Djokovic, but as of right now, I think it's still slightly Federer. I thought Scott Van Pelt had a great tweet. Uh, he didn't say this about Fed, but he was talking about Djokovic. Fed, like he said, everybody loves Fed. He's so likable. The crowd's always behind him. Djokovic, it's really not that way a lot of the times. The crowd's really never with him, but Djokovic has gotten to the point where he's so good and he's telling the crowd, like, you might not be rooting for me, but you're going to respect me. Like, yeah. you're going to appreciate how good I am. And it's kind of getting to that point where he's just, he's so good. Um, Joe, last thing we'll talk about before trivia is MLB, obviously. That's right. Derby. Has there been a better rule change in any sport than the home run derby going from 10 outs to these brackets? Love it. Phenomenal decision. And the three minutes, specifically the three minutes too, because the three minutes instead of the 10 outs makes it more exciting because you have the time element. And it also levels the playing field because when you have the 10 outs, nobody's going to go up there and get outs on purpose to save their energy. Think of Josh Hamilton that year. He hit 27, 28. He was putting on a show, and he was going to use all 10 of his outs. He wasn't going to go up there and say, you know what, I've got 16, I'm, I'm through, uh, I'm just going to lay down a couple bunts and get out of here. Uh, now that you have the three-minute time limit, nobody is going to just exhaust themselves like that. Now you get into like the overtime that Soto and Otani had. Soto was exhausted. He had no chance oh, yeah. going up against Alonzo. So you, so you still get that, but inherently, you're both swinging for three minutes. It's a level playing field, whereas – depending on how it would shake out in the old format. Maybe one guy would hit 28, maybe one guy would hit 16. So the guy who hit 28 taking all those extra swings, you know? So It's three it. minutes, but essentially for everyone, it's four because everyone yes. gets that minute bonus. So they're all exhausted. But I just, I mean, all those first-round matchups that, like, came down to the very last swing, you mentioned the 10 outs and how selective everyone is. These brackets let us see more home runs because dudes know that they can swing at every single pitch and it won't hurt them. So – I think it's great. It was me and you in the final. It was Mancini versus Alonzo. But Pete Alonzo is tailor-made for the Derby. The pitching coach, Dave Strauss, is that his name? Joss. Joss. Dave Joss. 
Yeah. I mean, just the meatball. Perfect. God, as our dude uh, Connor Rogers said, just absolute dart after dart after oh. dart. Fantastic. You're looking like the, the so uh, Pitching Ninja did a did a release point thing I on him, release point overlay, and where the pitches ended up, they were clustered immaculately. There are oh starting MLB pitchers who wish they could have the same release point as Joss did. So it was perfect. And Pete Alonso, every year that he's in it he's probably going to win it or be in the final. Like it's, it's hard to argue with. I mean, he he's was got the same build as like a Cespedes does. They're just those the, big hunky yeah. muscular. He's got the swagger dude. about it too. Like his head was bobbing the yeah, whole time. He, he was into it. And yeah. like, it never at any point felt like he was in danger. I mean, he was so calm going into the final, despite Trey putting up 22 in just a two minute round, plus the bonus three minutes total. And then he comes out down five homers in the one-minute bonus time, and he hits the first six pitches he sees for homers. It was done in 10 seconds. There was no drama at all. He would have hit 35 if he continued in that round. It was ridiculous. Probably would have done it. Salvi at 28 in the first. He was the second highest guy in the first round. He lost by seven homers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was ridiculous. Crazy. But, no, look, we've, we've crapped on Rob Manfred, and deservedly so for a lot of things, but – changing the derby i don't even know if it was him it might have been Seelig all those it might have been yeah whoever it was though that was fantastic job well done another time though pj we're past the all-star break yeah time for our deep dive back into baseball we've we've mentioned it on the periphery for a couple of weeks but we're heading into the second half we're going to handicap divisional races we're going to take a look at the mvp races because there's two pretty good races both of them have a guy who is slightly ahead of the other one more so than the other right now uh but Start with the divisional races, and let's go. Let's work our way west to east because both of our teams are here in the east. So we'll start with the AL West. Astros at the moment up, up three and a half on Oakland, up seven on Seattle, nine on LA, and forget about Texas. Um, don't think that Seattle or LA can get into the division race with Houston. It's it's Houston and Oakland, but for me, the way they're playing right now. I don't see the Astros losing this race. I think they're going to get, they're only going to get better as the second half goes on, especially if they truly are the front runner to acquire a guy like Kimbrell. Uh, it's, it's the Astros world in the AOS. As long as the Astros just don't have to play the Orioles, they'll be fine. Yeah. Um, the Orioles sweeping Houston in Houston is going to be the most amazing thing in baseball. We'll see all season. I just don't understand how that happens. I'm with you though. We talked about this last year, how much backlash and crap the Astros were going to get. But they still got all that talent on their team, and uh, look like you said they're going to make do. They're going to make deals at the deadline. They're going to be ready to go for the postseason. They're battle tested, and uh, you know they've been in this situation the last three, four years. They know what it takes to finish the job, win a division, and again, it seems like Oakland is on their heels every season. Right. So this is familiar territory for them. They know what they're doing. I expect both of those teams to be in the playoffs. All right. Now, staying out west with the NL side, this, for me, has been the biggest surprise. Oh, easily. I mean, there's maybe a couple other things that people could point to. The Yankees being as bad as they've been is a big surprise. And the Red Sox being as great as they've been. I remember uh, when we had um, uh, Garso on a while back talking O's and Red Sox, we thought it'd be a battle between those two for the bottom of the ALE. So the Red Sox have been a surprise. The biggest, by far, San Francisco Giants leading the NLS at the all-star break when we all but crowned the Dodgers and the Padres, two teams that would go against each other in the NLCS. And neither of them right now are even leading their division to a Giants team that is relying on 
older veterans like Longoria before he got hurt and like Buster Posey, who is now hurt. Uh, and then a bunch of guys who just, I mean, they are playing analytic baseball and they're doing it really, really well. Gosman is just phenomenal out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's, it's just been the biggest. The Orioles could use a pitcher like that. They could the use all former like Orioles team would yes. probably win the world series. They probably would. Probably. Um, look, I think all of baseball owes Gabe Kapler. Oh yeah. Apology. Yeah. When he took over the Phillies and he was doing things very unconventional, people were not happy with him. They ran him out of town and got Girardi. And filling in for Bruce Bochy, I mean, that is not easy shoes to fill. That's a dude who won three World Series there. And with a team, like you said, that was really not expected to do much, especially leading this division, right. have the best record in baseball. The job that he has done, you have to give him a lot of credit. And uh, – I mean, look, they're two games up on the Dodgers. I don't think they're going to win the division. No. But I think win. they're still finishing third out of those three. They're two up on the Dodgers. They're six up on the Padres. But you know the Padres will probably be buyers to the deadline. And I yeah. think they're another team that's probably going to have a better second half than first half. So I think the Giants will make the playoffs, obviously, as the wild card because of their record. Right. Um, but I do think they, they ultimately finish third just the way – we expect both sides of the equation here to kind of go back to the mean. The Giants maybe regress a little bit. Padres progress to the mean, uh, but it'll be Giants Padres in the wild card game, which would be what a game incredible. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what sucks about that division is you're the Giants. You've been the best team in baseball really all season, and if you have a bad week, you're going to yeah. be one game from your season being done. And then if you happen to win that game, you're going to have to turn around and play the Dodgers. So yeah. uh, good. Good luck with that, but I'm with you. I think the Dodgers win the division. I do think the Giants hold off the Padres and host that wild card game, but at that point, I mean, it really doesn't matter with those teams being in there. Now, the two least interesting divisions in baseball are both the Centrals in the NL yeah. and the AL. White Sox. The, yeah, I mean, That's the White the Sox, one. yeah, they're, they're currently up eight games on Cleveland and then 15 on Detroit, 15 on Minnesota, 18 on Kansas City. That division's a wrap. Uh, the teams below them, Cleveland, Detroit, Minnesota, KC, probably don't have a chance at even the wild card. If any of those teams do, it's Cleveland, but Cleveland probably ends up as a seller at the deadline and tanks the second half. Uh, nothing to be said there. But then in the NL Central, kind of the same thing. I mean, Pittsburgh's way out of it. Um, the Cubs are sinking and going to be big-time sellers. I think the Reds fade. I don't think they have enough. They're only four back of the Brewers right now. For me, the team to watch, if we're talking about teams that can have a big second-half kick and maybe chase down the, the current division leader, it's the Cardinals at 44 and 46, eight games back of the Brewers. There could be some interesting things going on there, I think. Uh, Cardinals have talent. They haven't put it together yet this year. I think they can. I think they might, you know, with, with the way that franchise is, be, be buyers at the deadline, but not the big splash. How many times do the Cardinals – just get the right guy, not necessarily the big splash guy, but the right guy. Um, so I think they can make an interesting, but other than that, again, two, two teams there that are even relevant. I agree with you. Um, the Cubs are the team that I can't wait to see what they do at the, at the, Oh, everybody. I mean, 16 guys. I think it is uh, that I saw the other day, uh, 16 guys that had a Jersey on for them in their last game going into the all-star break are not under contract beyond next season. That's so insane. they could get rid of everybody if they wanted to and just start getting a bunch of assets. I mean, it was literally three, four years ago when we were like, 
the Cubs could be what we, what the Dodgers look like with all yeah. that young talent and core. LFR. And it, it just shows you again, like the job Theo Epstein did and yeah. how it can really change that quickly. But I'm with you. The Cardinals, they've essentially been the spurs of the MLB for all this, all these years. They're going to make a run at it. But the Brewers with their pitching staff and, I mean, some of their good hitters, like Kristen Yelich, can't hit as bad as he's hitting. Yeah. Omar Navias has been great for them. They, they just – they find ways. Cincinnati has been the team that's that's been a pleasant surprise. Cassianos, yeah. Really good. Um, and then, Back, uh, Wait, before we go further, I can't believe Castellanos, the timing of Castellanos' home runs in Kansas City. Did you see that last week? I did. When they were eulogizing that guy, and he <laughs> hit a home run just like he did during the Brenneman apology. Yes. You can't make it up. And then make it up. Connor Newcomb, who I went to college with at, at Maryland, uh, he, he covers um, uh, all sports at Johns Hopkins now as a broadcaster, and he still does a ton of stuff on, on Twitter for baseball. He went back and pointed it out. We should have known from the beginning it was an omen. Do you know what night it was when Castellanos hit his first professional home run in the minors? I don't. He hit his first professional home run the night that Bin Laden was killed. That should have been an omen right there. Like, the dude just hits home runs at times when it's like, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. See, Joe, that's terrible now because if there's, like, a national tragedy my mind's going to go to, i got to bet the Reds game tonight. i got to bet Castellanos <laughs> to hit, hit a home run. People started dubbing his home runs, like, over oh. historic moments, like Lou Gehrig's speech and, and things like that. It was, it was a fun night on Twitter. It was a very, very fun that night. That is. That uh, is. Hey, at least your boys at the bottom. Sorry, we're not going to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, <laughs> Joe, look, I'm hoping, uh, you know, not next year, but maybe the year after that, they can compete for a wild card game. And then in three years, I'm, I'm really expecting. I'm not sold on Brandon Hyde as a manager. I think they got to go in another direction. But why the team's so bad, you can't really see what he's Box available. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I look at the beginning of the year, I we both agreed that this would probably be the best division in baseball because right. we thought the Yankees and Rays would be so good. Toronto was kind of the team that we thought the Red Sox had the chance to be. Although Toronto is a solid team. I mean, you watch the all-star game and like you just see how good Vladdy is. Bachette's mm-hmm. in the all-star game. Oscar Hernandez in the all-star game Springer hasn't been healthy their offense is just stupid good um man I think Boston's gonna win the division though they've been the best team in the division all year their offense is great their pitching just does just enough Alex Cora it's like the guy returns to Fenway and they just find their groove again but look Tampa they got Wander Franco up now Tampa just they're doing what Tampa does I think Tampa could do it they're only a game and a half back I think they could do it and since the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, every team in Tampa Bay has been to the finals. You had the Lightning win the Cup, then the Rays played the Dodgers, then the Bucks won the Super Bowl, and then the Lightning won the Cup again. And the so Tampa Bay not- Rowdies, and the Tampa Bay Rowdies in my USL won the championship too. So did they really? It is. Well, it was. They won the Eastern Conference, but then the final against the Western Conference team got canceled for COVID. But they're the designated champions because they had the higher point total and they were the Eastern Conference champions. So, but still, trophy for Tampa team. It's what they do. Yeah. So, uh, so again, the Rays might not win the division, but uh, this is a lot like the NL West. It's so brutal because whoever doesn't win that division will host the right. wild card game. But if you happen to win that game, then you're going to have to turn around and play that other team. Yeah, tough man. But I lean. I, I lean Boston. Tampa. 
Yeah, yeah I, I lean Boston, especially if they get Kimbrel. Uh, like I said earlier, the Astros might be in the equation, but if the if Red Sox get him, and we've seen Kimbrel there already, what he's done in Boston already. Um, so again, there are going to be buyers. They have a lot of talent. Cora in the mix again has changed things, but you can never count out Tampa. Although I do lean the Red Sox. Are you sticking with Yankees missing the playoffs? Oh, I am. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I'm and, and the picture hasn't changed. Yeah. The, the picture has not changed for me. Um, I was going to get to the wild card race in a minute, but let's finish up the AL while yep. we're on the topic. Um, the Rays or the Red Sox are going to be the number one wild card team. That's a fact. It's yes. just that's not going to change. They're no. six and a half. Uh, yeah, six yeah, and a half stay, games up on the Yankees. Those two will be the number one wild card. So for the second wild card spot, uh, Toronto and the Yankees right now they haven't played the same amount of games, but they have the same win percentage, so they're tied. Then you go beyond that. Uh, Cleveland also has the same win percentage. They're going to, the bottom is going to fall out on them. Uh, the Mariners have a higher win percentage. I don't know what to make of them. They might keep it up. They're not bad. Um, the A's currently are at a 565 win percentage and the Yankees are, and the, and the Jays are at 517. And then the angels are getting Mike Trout back and you see what Otani's doing. They're there at 45 and 44. The Yankees are 46 and 43. So as it stands, the Yankees have to beat the Blue Jays in their own division, who they're currently tied with. They'd have to get past the A's, who the Yankees are currently six games back of. And they would, or I guess four, because of the, depending on the loss column. Um, and then you've got the Mariners who are right there and the Angels who are going to get better. I don't see the Yankees emerging from that group. And especially especially considering the fact that the Yankees might actually be sellers to the deadline. Have you looked at their upcoming schedule right out of the gates here? Their well, I first, know they play Boston and Tampa real their soon. Their first 10 games out of the All-Star break and ahead of the trade deadline at the end of the month, uh, their first 10 games, eight against Boston, two against Tampa. That's not good for the God Yankees. They very well might go three and seven in that stretch with what we've seen so far this year when they've gone up against Boston and Tampa. So they might be sellers. So I'm absolutely still on that train. That Can the you believe it's July 14th and the Yankee season is on the line? I, th- yeah. I mean, they have to go six and four or better. They or really better. Do. They gotta, and again, they gotta and again even if they go six and four or better, the jockeying for position that's going to go on there between them, Toronto, Oakland, Seattle, and the Angels. Angels team, again, that's getting Trout back. So – it doesn't look good at all for the Yankees. Not at all. Yeah. Look, I think they're better than Cleveland. They're better than Seattle. Cleveland, I'm not even considering. Yeah. Cleveland's going to fall out. I think, they're be- I think the Blue Jays and the A's are better than the Yankees. Right there. And, and the Angels with Trout back, they might even have an argument to be better than the Yankees. Depends on who's yeah, clicking and who's Angels not. the Angels are going to be such a public team with Otani and Trout right. that I just, you know, even though we both love Joe Madden, I don't, right. I don't know. Uh, but – the, the A's, you know, the, Bob Melvin just every year. The A's just get yeah. it done. I just, I think it's going to be Tampa and the A's. I think your playoff picture right now, everybody that's in it in the AL is going to be in it. I, really I, I, I would probably agree with that, that it won't change. It's I don't going think to it'll get change. close. Things exactly are going to get interesting. what it is right now. I agree. Um, now the NL to wrap that up, NL East. It's not the worst division in baseball, like, I, I, like people are saying. I wouldn't say that because – Part of the reason that the records are the way they are is because the teams are beating up on each other. 
Um, the worst division in baseball is certainly, to me, the AL Central by far. Yes. People keep I saying understand. it's the NL East because of the records, but again. I mean, the Tigers are third. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, come on. Come on. Uh, Mets currently three and a half up on the Phillies, four up on the, on the Braves, six up on the Nats, nine up on the Marlins. The Marlins are out of it. The Nats, I think, fade and maybe sell I agree. and start gearing up towards next year. Uh, the Braves with Acuna out for the year. That sucks. Absolutely really sucks. Does. Really um, does. Hurts their case. The Phillies, again, I don't really know what to make of them. It's close at the moment in the standings, three and a half, four games. But I think the Mets homer pick, absolutely a homer pick. But my rationale is not my homerism. My rationale is what I'm about to say. I think the Mets end up winning this division by at least eight games. Like, I don't think it's close in the end. Because you look at what the Mets did in this first half with all of the injuries they've had. At one point, like you said, there was all but one of their opening day stars was on the I.L. To go through the first half they just went through at 47 and 40, and now getting all those guys, they got some of them back in the last week leading up to the All-Star break. They're getting a couple more of them back this week. They're going to be buyers at the deadline. Chris Bryant or Josh Donaldson are very likely going to enter the fray. Um, Berrios from the Twins or Hendricks from the Cubs, very likely to enter the fray. So they're getting healthier. They're going to buy. The Braves with Acuna, what are they going to be? The Nats and the Marlins sink. The Phillies will be there. But again, I just think that especially with the additions, whether via trade or by getting healthy, this Mets team is going to be much better in the second half than it was in the first half. And you think to even the players that didn't get hurt, Lindor never missed a game, but Lindor was terrible the first month and a half. But over the last 44 games, his numbers are exactly what they are for his career. So he's back to playing Francisco Lindor ball. Uh, Pete Alonso, we saw what he did after he won the home run derby, the run he went on two years ago. And in the first half, he, he missed a couple of weeks, too, with an injury. He should be hot right now. I, I think they ultimately are comfortably going to win the division. Boy, eight games, a big statement. I think they win the division. I think Philly's going to be right there with them. Nobody's talking about Philadelphia. They're 500 team. They're kind of just scooting along, playing under the radar. If the Phillies that- get Chris Bryant, that changes things a little because it would take away from the Mets and add to the Phils. But like I said, with, with everybody else coming back from injury and stuff, I think the Mets are comfortable. I think they win the division too. Um, I think the Mets actually are the team that would scare me the most if I'm the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. The pitching. Be- pitching. Well, you would have to face DeGrom two, maybe three times. To- well, if you're facing them in the uh, – it depends, obviously, if you're facing them in the division series or the championship series. See, the Mets using DeGrom in the division series would be extremely interesting. You're obviously going to throw him game one. Do you then throw him game four, or do you bring him out of the pen in game three and game five? And obviously a lot of that depends on what you do, what the series is looking like. Are you up 2-0? Are you down 0-2? Is it 1-1-2-1? But, uh, I mean – you know, I would assume they would start him game one and probably four, if not five. But uh, I think that's fine, though, because you think about uh, Cookie Carrasco's coming back now, too. Well, and Stroman and it's, Walker have been great. I was going to say, that's what I was say. You're getting Carrasco back, yeah. and you already had an all-star in Walker and a guy who narrowly missed the all-star game in Stroman. And, oh, by the way, you're getting Syndergaard back beginning of September to be your ace reliever, like he was actually in 2015 coming out of the pen at times 
you get him back in the mix to just throw fire out of the bullpen or maybe start for a couple of innings, you know, give you kind of like a glorified opener where he'll, he'll be an opener like the Rays have obviously made famous, but he'll go instead of one inning or two, he'll go four, he'll go five. So uh, it's only going to get better. And because of the pitching, you know, okay. If that's the rotation going into the playoffs, number one, Jacob deGrom, number two, Taiwan Walker, number three, Marcus Stroman, number four, Cookie Carrasco, who is a Cy Young caliber guy in and of himself the last couple of years before um, cancer injuries and, and coming back uh, from that. And then you're going to have Syndergaard as your five starter to give you three or four innings to begin each game before you turn it over to a bullpen that has been one of the best bullpens in baseball, which is something I've never been able to say in my lifetime, probably about the Mets. So it's all there. Um, and the schedule too, they played 33 games in 31 days going into the all-star break. They were exhausted and they still managed. They went into that stretch up three and a half games on the Phillies. They exited that stretch up three and a half games on the Phillies. So to play the teams they played in that stretch with the injuries they had and 33 games in 31 days to have not lost any ground. They didn't gain ground, but to have not lost ground either on the Phillies. I feel very, very confident about the Mets. Good point. Um, all right. Well, that's all we got. We got trivia last as always. I got a baseball question for you. I went I'm football because I'm, I'm starting to get in the mode actually now wow. of, of training wow. camp starts in a couple of weeks with so the Steelers and the, the Cowboys. Was that? You're so excited about the Jets. Oh, I'm so excited. Look at you. I'm so, so excited, excited about the Jets. And, I, I don't, and we'll get into this in the next couple of weeks. We'll probably try to have Worm on uh, because he's got a new big role that we're excited about for him. And it's going to change the conversation a little bit with some of the things we've talked about with Worm in the past. Um, our conversations with him have always been baseball, but we could have some big-time football conversations with him now. So if he's listening to this, we've already said congrats to him, but congrats again on the new role and hope to have you on soon for a big NFL preview. But, uh, dude, when we get to talking about it, I have zero faith that they're going to make the playoffs. No shot. They're going to win maybe seven games if it's a good season. And I'm so excited about that because even that is great growth. And, PJ, Adam Gase is no longer the coach. That's, that's all the that's excitement true. I need. That, that's really – that's, that's all you need. <laughs> Joe, they can go 0-17, but you got that working for you. That's it. So That's it. I hope good. next week could be actually a big football episode. We can talk a lot. Because we're, we're right into it. I think after next week's episode would drop is once camps start because the Cowboys and uh, the Steelers go early for the Hall of Fame game, and then everybody else starts following after that. So you want your question first or mine? Uh, I can give you mine first. Okay, we're, we're, I'm still up to two. Yes, you're up 21 to 19. All right. All right, your question. There were five MLB teams this year that only had one all-star selected from that team obviously every team gets at least one all-star but there were five that only had one can you name me i don't need you to give me the player i just need you to give me four of the five teams okay go ahead uh the mets are the surprising one for as good as they've been they only had one all-star uh the mets had two all-stars well how are we distinguishing this because their one all-star was Degrom, but then because he pulled out because he was hurt and the rule of having one guy walk or replace them. They didn't have two voted. Well, they, they, they're both considered all-stars. So oh, considered okay. Gotcha, gotcha. I won't count that as a strike, but... Okay, go got it. Uh, Pittsburgh definitely only had one. It was Adam Frazier. No, Pittsburgh had two guys. Brian Reynolds batted right before him in the eighth spot. That's what the joke was, was that Pittsburgh had two position really? players starting for the NL. 
I didn't watch the game. I mean, I, I didn't really care about the All-Star go. game. No. Well, it's that, that was a strike. The Mets were yes. a strike. That was a strike. <laughs> was a strike. Um, gosh. The Marlins could not have had multiple All-Stars. The Marlins did have multiple All-Stars. Good God. I can't remember who it was, but uh, let me look it up. Um, this is going to be a real quick flame out. Because uh, we're already talking about the worst teams in baseball. Salvi Perez was there for the, for the Royals. Was anybody else on the Royals good? The Royals? Um, the Royals? No, not the Royals. Whit Merrifield was also an all That's it. I'm done. I'm tapping out. That's, that's Let me see if uh, Miami did indeed have two. You could be right on Miami unless I missed one. Oh, Joe, you got me. I missed Miami. So there were Miami. six. So well okay. done. Yeah. Tyler, Trevor Rogers was the all-star. Yeah, I'm not getting the rest of them here. Like I said, the, the all-star game this year, once players started pulling out, so like half the league turned out to be an all-star because of guys who pulled out. Right. Like it ended up being this the whole B list. Uh, it, my mind was not there. So. Well Good done. question. See, there were a lot of MILs, so I figured that there were two MIAs because they gave the abbreviation of the teams. God, Milwaukee yeah. and like six dudes in the All-Star game. Um, but, Who were the uh, teams then? So, yeah, so the other teams were Detroit, Gregory yeah. Soto. Seattle just had one. It was Yuseo Kikuchi. Baltimore yeah. had just one with Cedric Mullins. I'm still mad John Means wasn't the All-Star. Oh, I thought Trey made it. I thought Trey was in the game too. No, just, just the Derby. And oh. then uh, Colorado just had one guy, Ger- German Marquez Arizona. in Arizona, Eduardo Escobar. Oh, I would have thought Miami. Trevor. Yeah. And then Miami. Okay. So. Yeah, I would, have, I would have 0% chance of getting that. The Pittsburgh right. Pirates not only had two players, but they had two guys start. Yeah. yeah but like I said, again, with like just, I was so out. I, I was so in on the Derby, but I was just so out on the game this year. Like, first of all, yeah. the uniforms sucked. Yeah, that they were stupid. Bad. That, was, that was not why I didn't watch, but they were bad. But then you started getting in the, into the guys, like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, where they just started, you know, not playing. None of the Astros went for the most part, and DeGrom pulled out, and Walker came in. So technically the Mets had two All-Stars, but realistically they only had one because but it was a mess. Total mess. Mess. Uh, I'll take the loss on that question. Mine for you, football. Uh, next week, I believe it is, or a couple of weeks, the NFL Network begins their unveiling of the – top 100 list every year voted on by the players mm. um i do love that it has been going on for 11 years um i'm sorry it's been going on for uh 10 years this will be the 11th year but only eight players have won eight distinct players have won because a couple of players have have multiple uh distinctions as the number one player so i want you to give me six of the eight guys who have ever been number one on that list Lamar Jackson. Last year, yep. Aaron Donald. The year before that. Tom Brady. The two years before that. He's one of them. He's the multi-winner guy. Aaron Rodgers. There's four. Um, two more guys. Peyton Manning. There's five. One more. I'll go Adrian Peterson. There you go. Clean sweep. Nice. I thought... I knew you'd obviously get the four easy ones of Brady, Rogers, Manning, and Lamar. Yep. Uh, so it was just a matter of could you have pulled MVP season Adrian Peterson? Yep. I would have said Calvin Johnson would have been another guess. 
No, I did not. I was, okay. the, the ones that I was, you had to get two of these four was the real tough part. Or didn't turn out to be tough, but in principle, <laughs> it might have been tougher. With Adrian Peterson, J.J. Watt back in 2015, mm. Cam Newton back in 2016, mm. and then Aaron Donald two years ago, which you got right away. Cam would not have gotten J.J. with some time, possibly, because I was thinking of another defensive player. Khalil Mack was floating in my head. Um, yeah, I don't know if I eventually would have gotten to what. Because Donald and Mack have really been the only defensive players that I can think of that would be, like, number one. Right. Maybe Revis, Luke Keekly would be if the Revis would have entered the equation if the list started a little sooner. Because 2009, 2010 were his big time, big time, yeah. shut everybody down seasons. Uh, and then he tore he, – he had the injury and missed the season. Um, came back and he was still stellar, but, like, he wasn't – he was still all pro after that. But he wasn't like that one year in 09 uh, where he had the laundry list of guys that he held to three catches and 40 yards just the whole season. Actually, his birthday today, 36 years old, Darrell Revis. Um, How about that? But uh, he would have probably entered my mind if, if this question were asked of me. Yeah. Um, Good question. No, I love that. I, I think Ray Lewis, maybe, if, again, if it, was, if, if it went back before 2011. But that was the thing here. It's only since 2011. So – there's a lot of guys who from our lifetime are considered greats that weren't greats during this span. Like you'd bring that list a couple of years earlier, Troy Polamalu and Reed, they all enter the equation, but since 2011, they don't enter the equation. So who's going to be number one this year. I mean, Mahomes is the best player, but do you think Rogers gets number one? Do you think Aaron Donald gets number <sighs> one again? This year's tough. I mean, it's hard not to go Mahomes, but the fact that, we didn't go Mahomes in 19 and obviously last year, I mean, Lamar deserved it hundred percent last year. So this past year was not even Mahomes best year and he didn't get it during his best year. So I'd be, I'd probably say he doesn't get it. Um, with the season he had Rogers probably is the, is the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Donald, you could always make a case for, especially with what he did last year. It's definitely not going to be Lamar. Um, Brady probably has a chance again. He didn't have the regular season, but playoff run and winning another Super Bowl. And again, just kind of the mutual respect from the other players who will vote on it. You could go a lot of ways with it. It's, it's always interesting once you get to the top 10. I'm waiting for the year, for Christ's sakes, to get an offensive lineman number one because there are guys who are deserving. And I would love to see it finally happen. Quentin Nelson hasn't let somebody get past him since he was in Pee Wee football. <laughs> so, like, I would love, I would love for that to be number one, but it's awesome. just not gonna happen. <laughs> Morgan Cox, top ten. Let's go. <laughs> oh man! But Justin you know, just, Tucker needs to crack the top one hundred. What are we doing? Right. I mean, come on now. Like, what? what he's oh. automatic, and we got to start showing Nelson. respect to them. Quentin Nelson, in all seriousness, should be a top 10 player. He should be number one. Like, he, he has an actual case for number one if you look at the numbers. Like, it's not even – that wasn't even He's me being absurd. satirical. No, like, I know. He let well, nobody one. I don't know about one. Top 10, 100%. I don't know about one. Right. <laughs> right. But you start looking down the list. There are offensive linemen who are absolutely yeah. deserving. I don't think there's really any defensive guys, though, this year that really jumped out. Um if Devin White can put together what he did in the regular yeah. season for the, what he did in the postseason, yeah. he got a shot at the top. Aaron Donald was a little banged up this year, so like yeah. he wasn't himself. So yeah, probably gonna be quarterback again. Just a matter of which oh, one. Yeah. They, I they would get. say Rogers. That'd be my pick. So, that'd be my pick. 
can't really go wrong with the year that they all had. I mean, Mahomes, I think we're all in agreement upon, is the most talented, best player in the league. Um, Rodgers did what he did. Brady won the Super Bowl. It's going to come from one of those three guys. I don't really see, unless, you know, unless anybody wants to go kind of out of left field and pick like a Josh Allen. I don't think he's the best player in football. I don't think he's better than those three other guys. So it's going to come from one of those three. Now, here's a good question. Who gets voted higher, Diggs or Allen? Um, probably Allen. Because, again, it's, yeah, there's a QB. Diggs. I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. But there's just a QB bias. Like, oh, I get there, that. There always is and always yeah. will be. And rightfully so, because they control everything. Right. I mean, you're only as good as your quarterback. Um, but probably with, with that thought, it, it's probably him. So I'm looking forward to talking about this more next For week, sure. too, because there was the whole – That was starts all the ESPN. this week or next week? Uh, I, I forgot exactly when the date was, but it's coming up. Um, what spurred me to think of this was this past week ESPN polled uh, – I forget if it was media members or, or uh, front office people anonymously or a mix of both. And they came out with their top ten lists of uh, quarterbacks – Every position, really. They did quarterbacks, they did left tackles, they did defensive linemen. They went through the positions, top 10 at each. So I was like, all right, PJ won't know this one, but like he'll know the NFL top 100 list. So that's a good trivia question. But getting into like the next it. week, there's debates to be had about ESPN's lists, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'd like to get into as well as we start shifting our focus more and more on football. We won't go through, obviously, our divisional layouts and stuff until late August and, and our fantasy stuff and stuff like that. But uh, next week, we can start kind of reintroducing it a little bit more. This trivia question, that was my point here. Let's start reintroducing it. It's about that time. Uh, we, we got lists to talk about. We got so trans to talk football. about. I'm, I wish it was already <laughs> here. I wish it was already here. <laughs> um, Joe, what time are you waking up tomorrow? I am, I'm going to wake up probably at 9.30, like a normal day. So I, am, I am not waking up that early for day one. I will probably wake up earlier at, over the next couple of days. But for day one, I am not waking up that early. <laughs> Joe, I'm probably going to wake up around 4, going to have to use the bathroom, going to check my phone, see that half the guys I bet on are five over through like three holes. And then I'm going to have to just rush downstairs and watch. And then rushing downstairs to watch will turn into me watching. for just The whole day. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, day one – Got things to do. I'm not messing up my sleep schedule for day That's one. That's my favorite day, though, because it's the day where I still feel like I have a chance. I go in. I just. I'm so excited right now. I have so much hope. I think all my bets are going to hit. I think all my DraftKings lineups are going to cash. And then this time tomorrow, I'll be at it. <laughs> That's how it works every so, week. So every I'm week. enjoying it while it lasts. All right. All right well, thanks next week, Shane Bacon. Though it was great to have him on to get to talk about the open. It was nice, and uh, he was nice enough to join us. It was a lot of fun getting to meet him, and uh, we're looking forward to episode fifty-five. Double nickels next week. Corell Suggs, Joe. Let's go. <laughs> He's a guest. God, I hope so. that'd be awesome. <laughs> if you, by any means, if you have a contact, I, you know, oh, I do not have a, I do not have a direct line to Sid. Sorry, I do, I do not. <laughs> okay.